I'm Georgie. And I'm Michaela. And we're here to tell you about the University of Aberdeen. In each episode, we will discuss frequently asked questions about topics such as applications, go abroad, student life, sports and societies, budgeting for uni, and life in Aberdeen. We will be speaking to current Aberdeen students, those who really know what it's like to study and live here. And we'll be getting exclusive tips from members of our amazing staff. Join us for this episode of Ask Aberdeen. Hey y'all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. This episode is specifically for our North American listeners who are interested in our undergraduate programs. We have recorded a previous episode with one of our current students, whose name is Jack. Um, He's from California and he offered an amazing insight into what studying in Aberdeen is like from his perspective. However, in this episode, we will go into a little more detail about the application process, organizing finances and explain some of the terminology that you might hear um, us use in the other episodes, which you might be unfamiliar with. I am joined by an expert on everything North American, uh, which is our officer, Amy. Hi there, thanks for having me. Great, so can you describe a little bit about what your job is? Yeah, so I'm the regional manager for the Americas, and what it really means is that I look after all the students that have questions about the university or want to apply to the university, anything they really need. I'm kind of their go-to person for information, for contacting the university, and also just helping them with their journey of figuring out what university they is right for them, um, making an application, and then actually getting here to campus. And then kind of once students are here on campus, they're fully integrated to the support system of the university. So I really do lots of different things from like answering basic questions to going out to actual um, events and providing really basic information to new students looking at different options to really in-depth kind of one-to-one calls that I do with students to get all the questions they have answered um, at any point in that journey that they have. And you don't sound like you're from Scotland. Where are you from yourself? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not from Scotland. Um, I'm originally from Southern California, so in a place called Riverside, which is kind of outside of LA. Um, but I've been an international student myself. I came and studied in Scotland for my undergrad degree and my master's, and then have been working in kind of university life uh, in Scotland ever since. So you just, you do know absolutely everything there is to know, um, which is fantastic because you can then tell us what the difference is between the undergraduate degree that we have in Scotland and the degree that's in the US, because while they're both sort of four years long as a standard, they're actually quite different, aren't they? Yeah, they they are quite different in the sense that usually you need to know what you want to do or vaguely what you want to do when you apply to the university in the UK. And so you do apply for a major from the get-go. But we are kind of similar to a liberal arts university in the sense that you do pick up some electives. Um, So you usually have the option to pick up some subjects that are outside of your major, unless you're doing something very, very specialized, in which case you would have a really strict kind of set classes that you need to take to graduate with the degree that you want to do. Where in the US, you tend to do uh, general eds, electives, and then make a decision on your major, usually in the first two years of your university, and then specialize in those last two. Um, so it is different in the, that you need to know what you want to do from kind of day one, but we still have that flexibility that you get to try new things. And then if you did want to change your degree, you can do that in the first two years, providing you've studied for that subject from day one. And then you can go on and specialize and major in 
uh, you, well, you major from day one, but you really do really specialized work in your last two years. So it is kind of similar in that that specialism in the last two years is still the same. Flexibility in the first two years still the same, but it's a little bit more focused here in Scotland. Yeah, you don't have to take those uh, maths 101. Yeah, that was a big draw for me of not having to do general ed. <laughs> I was like, no more foreign languages and no more maths. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's definitely a draw for Scotland because, you know, you can take some management classes, you can take some Spanish classes, you can take, um, you know, history classes, but you don't have to take the stuff you don't want to take. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, especially when you're, you're spending so much time and money to come to university, you're really picking what you want to do um, and really kind of get the opportunity to really showcase what you can do and what you're interested in, which is pretty exciting. And you were using some of... Um some of the wording there that we use in Scotland, which is, for example, like we call things like a degree or a program. And um, can you explain if we talk about like modules and classes, what, what are modules, what are classes? Yeah, so I feel like I, I'm very much one that uses all of them interchangeably, but we use module a lot here in Scotland. And a module essentially is your entire class. So it's things like all of your classwork, your lectures, your seminars, it's a whole little module. Um, but really, it means your classes. So when you're going to class and you're going to lectures, it's just your classes. Sometimes it gets called courses as well, but some universities will also exchange courses to mean their degree, which essentially just means your major. Um, so they all kind of get used together, but modules tends to mean classes. Courses or a degree tends to mean your major. Um, but we also have joint degrees or combined degrees and that essentially is a double major where you're actually specializing in two like two subjects that you're going to have at the end of the day on your degree certificate it's going to have both of them so it's like a double major um, and it does naturally tend to have a major and a minor so you tend to do a little bit more classes in one than the other but we call them a joint degree or a double degree you mentioned there um, you go to tutorials, you go to lectures. How frequent should we be expecting these lectures and tutorials? Like what is the what is the sort of split between those? Do you know? Yeah, so in your kind of early days of university, it tends to be a lot more lecture heavy in that you're gonna be in a classroom um, or you're you'll have it online depending on how big your classes is, especially this coming year with um, the pandemic, where we are trying to have students come on class and have kind of touch points in person. Um, larger lectures might still be held online. But you tend to have a lot more of those in your first couple of years. And then when you specialize and your classes get smaller, you tend to have more seminars and tutorials. But I would say most classes you should expect to have both a mixture of those kind of big lectures, smaller seminars, tutorials, or labs if you're doing anything science-based. Um, but it's pretty much, I always tell students, expect to have class Monday to Friday, um, but you should have less kind of actual classroom hours than you would say in a traditional US or Canadian university where they tend to have a lot more kind of class time. Um, you should have fewer class hours here, but actually have a lot more independent study to do. So taking time in the evenings or in between classes to do reading for your seminars, tutorials, practicing, uh, you know, reading scientific journals if you're doing a science to, to kind of know what's out there and what's interesting to you that you can pull back then to your actual kind of degree or coursework that you have. Um, so you are expected to do a lot kind of independent learning in addition to those class hours you have. But it's definitely 
less class hours day to day than you might expect from a, a North American university. Yeah, there's definitely reliance on you to actually do stuff in your own spare time. Um, however, that suits a lot of people, you know, learning on your own terms. Um, and let's talk about how does one apply? Um, so in the US, Common App is quite a common way to apply. Um, however, in the UK, we use UCAS. So what do people use to apply? Yeah, so it really depends on the individual. Um, for our American students in particular, they do have the option to use either Common App or UCAS. They are very similar in the sense that you can take one application and send it to multiple schools. So if you're applying through Common App, you can apply to other schools in the UK or other places in the world um, using that one application. It does have a fee attached to it. Um, it's about $75 to apply using that. And it's a really good option if you are only looking at Aberdeen. Like I would only recommend using Common App if you know Aberdeen's the only university in the UK that you were looking to apply to. UCAS is pretty much the Common App for the UK. You have one application and you can send that to either five universities or five courses. So if you're in between two courses, you might send uh, kind of two of your choices of the five to one institution, but for two different degrees. Um, but if you wanted to, you know, you know you're going to do history, that's what you're interested in, you can send that application to five institutions. And that's where it really comes down to applying to the degree, because you won't be able to talk about why you want to go to these five different universities. You really want to talk about why that degree is right for you. Um, but every single UK university is on UCAS, and that's why if you are looking at more than one university in the UK, UCAS is the one to go for. Um, it is much more affordable. It's about, I think it's equivalent to about 35 US dollars at the moment, for that one application to go to five institutions. So it's much more affordable, um, but not everyone's on Common App. So that's why it's great. If you are looking at more than one place, use UCAS so that you can apply to all the universities you're interested in all at once but you are limited to the five um, and you can only use one or the other. So if you apply through Common App and then apply through UCAS, we actually have to input your data into UCAS at some point. So we will definitely know if you have tried to apply to more than those five universities. So it's just not worth it. It's definitely worth using one or the other. Um, but UCAS is actually a really great resource even if you do choose to go through Common App because it has information about how to write personal statements for the UK, how the whole system works, um, and it's just a really useful tool to search degrees, what's offered, and just how the UK system uh, is set up. So even if you do th go through Common App, always have a look at that UCAS website. That's what I recommend. Yeah, we're going to link this in the show notes. Um, and we've also done an episode on just how to write your personal statements um, on this show. So I'm going to link this in the show notes as well. So you can give a listen to that if you're looking for some advice on how to actually write your personal statements and what goes into an application. So that might be quite useful. But talking about deadlines, are there any deadlines people should be aware of when it comes to applying? Yeah, I think if you're looking at medicine, that's one of those degrees that has a really strict deadline of the 15th of October. And that degree you have to apply through UCAS. So you don't have an option on that one. Medicine, 15th of October through UCAS. That's the only option you have available. If you are looking for anything besides medicine, um, we actually have a 30th of June deadline on UCAS. You will see um, an earlier deadline in January. 
Um, I think it's the 13th or the 15th. I never remember. They actually moved it now to the third Wednesday in January. So it is now late January that the deadline for UK-based students. Yeah, so that's UK-based students. Um, so you will see it advertised everywhere on all the university websites, on UCAS, that January deadline. But actually, as an international student, you have until the 30th of June if you wanted to wait that long to apply. And while I'm applying, do I need to submit my SAT or ACT scores or is Aberdeen test optional? So at the moment, we are test optional um, because we do understand that all the SATs, ACTs have really been disrupted in the US um, as a result of the pandemic. So students haven't been able to take them in the last kind of 18 months. So we are test optional. If you are in a situation where you can take the SATs and ACTs, I actually really highly recommend you do still take them if you can. And that's just because we're test optional for this year, but in future years, we may not be test optional and other universities might not be test optional as well. So if you're listening to Aberdeen going, that's one of my choices, but another school is also one of your choices to apply to, they might not be test optional and then you might not be able to get in because you haven't taken your SATs and ACTs. So if you are able to take them this year, I definitely recommend them. Um, I definitely recommend if you have taken them and you've done well in them, include them along with your, your application. Like we always like to see those and they definitely make an easy decision for us. Um, but if you haven't been able to um, actually sit them, just get in touch with me and let me know and we can work together with our admissions team to have you considered as a test optional application. And what if there are people who are looking to transfer to Aberdeen? Is that a possibility? Is the process the same for them or would it be quite different? It's quite similar. So again, you have two options of applying through Common App as a transfer student, but also you can apply through UCAS as what we call advanced entry. So you can select on your application on UCAS to put in year two or even year three as an option. Um, it can be a little bit tricky taking credits from the US and transferring them over to the UK. So it's not just an Aberdeen thing, it's a general uh, you know, UK-wide issue that we come across and that everything is so kind of in order that you take. So if you're doing psychology, you take psychology 101 essentially in semester one and then 102, then 103. So we always build on the information that you learn each semester and kind of grow that knowledge. Um, so what we look for in a transfer is what classes have you taken? What subjects have you taken that are the same as what you would have taken in Aberdeen? And if you've taken the right number of classes with the right number of subjects, we can allow you to come into year two or year three. Um, but what we see actually is a lot of students come with general ed um, because they've done general classes that don't meet the kind of equivalent to the major that you're taking here sometimes we will look at it and offer you year one or year two and maybe you were looking for year two or year three so it's definitely worth applying have it evaluated have it looked at and then if we are able to offer you um, either year one or year two or year three we'll let you know at what year we can allow you to come in at so you don't actually have to apply um you know it's not going to be like if you apply for year two you're not eligible for year two you are rejected you will still get offered possibly year one entry yeah, it's not a risk and it's just a case of like once you once we know that you you're looking to transfer, we can go and work with our academic advisors here um, and they'll have a look through all the classes that you've done. If you've got any supporting documents like course outlines or syllabi, if you send those in along 
uh, with your application, you can always like you can send those separately directly either to me or to our admissions team. We'll make sure that it gets added to your transcripts and we can review that to see what we can do to make it work for a transfer. But potentially, yeah, if we think you'd be more suited for a kind of freshman level uh, year one um, entry, we would offer that instead of outright reject you. And if you're looking for Amy's email, we're going to include this in the show notes as well. So um, have a look there if you're keen to get in touch with Amy directly. So another big part about looking at studying um, in the UK will obviously be financial aid and finances overall. Is it more expensive to study in the UK or how would you how would, does it compare to American universities? So it, it does depend. A lot of times it can be the same or it can be even more affordable uh, depending on where you're looking to go. Um, it will vary from state to state, depending on kind of what school you want to go to, if it's a private institution or a public institution or a state school, the kind of tuition fees can vary. But overall, like I would say we're pretty affordable. We're pretty much on par with like an average university cost. Um, and if you're looking at like private institutions, it actually can be a lot cheaper for you, uh, especially some of the, the ones that you see like Ivy League schools or uh, if you're looking at kind of the private schools that you find on like the East Coast, they can be pretty expensive. So tuition fee is pretty affordable, I would say. Um, and then the living expense actually can be a lot less here. So rent is cheaper. Uh, the food that you would buy your weekly kind of uh, grocery shop tends to be cheaper. Um, and then we have national health insurance. So your actual health insurance that you pay when you apply for your visa is cheaper and then what you would say pay in the US. So for an American student, it can be it can be cheaper depending on kind of what options and what other places you're considering. And is it possible to still apply for the same financial support from the government like FAFSA? Yeah, absolutely. So any FAFSA applications that you make, you can make to Aberdeen. Um, and then we accept any financial aid that you would be offered in the form of a loan. So like your parent plus loan, Stafford loans, things like that, um, even the GI Bill that we can accept. Um, you can bring all those loans over. If you're applying from Canada, um, we do take provincial loans as well. So we actually see a lot of students come from Ontario and they'll bring their Ontario student loans with them. You can bring those over. The only thing we can't really do is grants. So Pell Grant is really popular in America um, and we can't accept the grants. It has to be the loans that you bring over. And how about scholarships? That's quite a that's quite a popular thing in the US. You know, everyone's trying to achieve all these scholarships. Does Aberdeen offer any at all? Yeah, we do. So we have North American specific scholarships. Um, so we are looking to update every single year what's being offered. So it's definitely important to check the website um, closer to the time of application to see what would be available to you. But a lot of times it's based on your academic achievements or even something that you've achieved, like an excellence that you've done in your personal life. So if you've come up, come up uh, and got good grades against adversity, adversity <laughs> um, or have done something really cool, we want to hear about it and uh, potentially be able to give you a scholarship based on yeah your academics or something cool that you've done in your personal life that you want to shout about. Um, we always want to hear about it and see if we can provide scholarships for you. And is it right that there are some that are even based on your ACT or SAT results? Um, yes, I think we definitely were offering that um, and it's looking like because of the pandemic, 
will probably be moving away from your SATs and ACTs as the main contributing factor. But again, if you've got really amazing grades in your SATs, ACTs, like fill in an application form for our excellent scholarship and we'll see if we can offer you a scholarship based on those grades. So it can really be your GPA, it can be SATs, ACTs, or yeah, anything that maybe isn't grade related. Like if you've done something amazing in your you know, your community or you've set up a nonprofit during high school, like let us know um, and we'll look at all kind of options uh, for excellence. We're going to link this in the show notes as well. So if you are looking to have a look at what sort of financial aid um, there might be available, just um, click through the link in the show notes. And you also mentioned, you know, living costs and living in Aberdeen in general. So let's move on to that topic. Um, obviously, visa applications might seem like a huge, huge complicated thing, and it might be a bit daunting to look at that, um, you know, and think about all the different things that one has to do to apply. Can you help with that? Yeah, I can give very basic advice. Um, we do have actually a dedicated team that will help with visa and kind of immigration questions. So I definitely provide really over an overview of kind of what the steps are, what's included, what you should prepare for, but the kind of nitty gritty detail, we actually have um, staff members that are trained um, to be able to provide the, the best advice that they can to you. So you're definitely not alone in this process. My advice is always to start early. Um, just give yourself plenty of time. Um, make sure that you're, you've kind of got everything that you need to for the university itself. So once you've su submitted all the documents and all the information we need, um, once you've accepted your offer, that speeds everything up. Um, so we just try to do everything early. That's, that's the biggest piece of advice when it comes to visas. But um, it is a bit daunting, but we have students come every single year from the US and Canada. So we are definitely here to help you. Um, so don't feel like you're going through that process alone. And then once you do it, like you can apply for all four years, um, or if you're coming for a master's and you're just doing a year, like you can apply for the length of your actual um, degree that you're doing with us so you don't have to do it every single year which is like a relief that you just do it once and that's you taken care of for the entire time you're at Aberdeen. Great so now we've applied we've you know visas processed um, and we're about to get here so how does one actually get to Aberdeen? Do I have to fly to like London and then take a train or is there a better way to get to Aberdeen? Yeah I mean I'm all one for exploring the UK, but when you first get here, you can actually fly directly into Aberdeen. So usually you have a connecting flight somewhere in England. Um, it can also be Europe. So we do have major hubs in London. Um, you also see flights coming in from kind of all over Europe. So like Paris, um, you usually get some in Germany or Amsterdam, and then you can connect to uh, Aberdeen. And then from there, um, it's about what, 15 minute? taxi ride 20 minute maybe if there's traffic uh, from the actual airport to the university's kind of main accommodation area in Hillhead but once you're used to the city and you've been here a couple times um, you can definitely use public transportation um, so if you do find cheaper flights in like Edinburgh or Glasgow absolutely you can take the train up if that's what you prefer uh, but first time I'm always like just get to Aberdeen make it nice and easy um, get a flight directly to our airport and then taxi it to your, your university accommodation. Um, that's the, the quick, smooth way to do it. 
yeah, I have to say I've um, flown a few times um, to Atlanta in Georgia and it's just so convenient getting on a flight in Aberdeen, go into Amsterdam and then just a direct flight. So it's pretty much two flights and you're in Aberdeen, which yeah. is something that you might not realize is possible um, for a city our size. It's actually quite amazing that we have such a good international airport with so many connections. Um, you know, you can go through Paris, you can go through uh, Amsterdam and London. There's just a lot of different choices but obviously as you mentioned you can also fly if it's cheaper for you you can fly into Edinburgh or Glasgow um, and you also mentioned you know it's about 20 minutes uh, away from um, the main halls area that we have in Aberdeen so do people do a lot of people live in halls? Yeah a lot of people live in halls especially in their first year um, you know just coming to the city getting orientated meeting people and just having that support that the university provides of having staff on hand so that if you do get locked out or you need you know, a light bulb uh, and you're not sure where to go, it's late at night, uh, we have the staff there to support you. So it's really nice to have that independence of moving away from home for the first time, but also have that safety net of, we're gonna have people here that are looking out for you and are here to help with anything you really, that you need. Um, it's also great when you first arrive because you don't have to worry about setting up the internet or, um, just getting bills sorted, it's all included. So you can really just, you know, arrive, plug in, check in with home, phones charging, laptops working, all of that is, is set up. And it just allows you to come in and not have to worry about that. You're really just worrying about where your classes are and how you're gonna make friends and what's happening at Freshers Week. Um, you can just really focus on the university instead of really that life admin of, of getting a new kind of what we call a flat, um, also known as an apartment to Americans, uh, getting that all set up and organized. So I do recommend definitely look at the university accommodation in the first year. The other thing that we have that is amazing is that because it's apartment style living, no one has roommates. So everyone has their own individual bedroom, which I definitely appreciated. Like, um, and then depending on what, how much you want to spend and what your price point is, we have what we call catered accommodation, which essentially has meal plans or self-catered, which means it doesn't have meal plans. So you have the option of like having, that, again, that little extra support of having meals provided, or um, you can definitely cook for yourself. Um, for me, I am lactose intolerant. I'm a very bad lactose intolerant. I eat pizza all the time. But when I was being very good uh, lactose intolerant, like that was great for me to have access to the kitchen and buy all my own food and cook for myself. Um, so I really appreciated not having to have a meal plan because I knew I wasn't going to use it because of my dietary needs. Yeah, I think as opposed to the US, um, only one out of our um, portfolio of accommodation, only one building is actually dedicated to catered um, students and catered living. The rest of them are just, you can buy a meal plan as well on top, but as a standard, you're cooking for yourself. So I think it's way more common here. And also the university is sort of prepared for that. So there are like cooking classes and, you know, like all these sort of support um, mechanisms here to help you transition into feeding yourself for possible the first time ever. So that's definitely good. And also something that um, I, remind, I was reminded of as you were talking, you know, when you come into halls, um, you fly in, you know, your flight, flight might be quite late in the day. Something that is quite popular is ordering these like 
packs um, of like essentials, which is like got your bedding, it's got your cutlery and your plates and all of these little basic things, which probably you're not going to travel with because if you are traveling with like one or two pieces of luggage, it's probably full of, you know, clothes <laughs> or like personal personal things you want to bring with you. So you might not want to, you know, be bringing like three forks with you. Um, so what you can do is actually pre-purchase these packs, which come with like really good um, basic things you might need. Um, and those will be in your room as you arrive. So you don't even have to worry about where you're going to get your bedding from um, that first day, which is really handy. I would definitely recommend that over trying to get an online delivery arranged for the day of your arrival. I did that and it didn't work out and I slept under a coat for the first day. Oh no. Yeah, so I would definitely recommend um, those little packs, which are especially popular with international students who are not moving in, you know, with an entire car worth of furniture and whatnot. But also one thing, you don't need any furniture. That's the good thing. Pretty much the only thing you need is like your personal um, belongings, your cooking things. Um, all the big pieces are provided so you don't have to worry too much about that. And as you said, people live in their own room. Um, you know, they don't have to share with anyone. Is it more common in the US to have a big bed? Because I think that's something we should clarify with people. It's single beds pretty much across all of our accommodation. Yeah, I think in the US, I think as a whole, um, they're used to having a, like a single bed or what's known as a twin bed, um, but they tend to be extra long. So when you go to university, you tend to have to buy extra long sheets and they like sell them at like Walmart and Target, like right before the start of each academic year because they'll have these extra long little skinny beds. This is just a standard twin, so if you are extra tall, um, unfortunately we don't offer any bigger beds for you, um, but the nice thing about that is if you do buy a bedding pack, which I also recommend for that very reason of like, again, you don't want to worry about it, like you want to just get off a flight and like it can be an overwhelming experience and again we have staff here to help you um, but having that bedding pack ready for you because we work with the company as a university um, you just have to make your bed and then you're, you're all set and then if you decide actually later on I want to buy my own sheets and personalize my bedding like you can go and either buy them yourself or if you're in America and going back for like the the winter break or something you can always bring back um, kind of twin sheets and they're going to fit that bed. And something that people also frequently ask us about, um, so it seems to be a trend in some universities, you do not have to move out from your accommodation over the winter break. Uh, yeah, that's correct. So your room is your room from when you move in to the end of your contract when you move out. So if you are looking to stay um, over the winter break, you definitely can stay. That's your room. No one's moving in. You don't have to worry about moving stuff out. Um, but usually for undergrads in your in the summer, that's when you would move out and then you can either find your own accommodation uh, for the next academic year or again apply for university housing if you wanted to do that. Um, it's really up to you what your preference is. So a lot of students will move off campus. A lot of them will stay on campus as well, depending what what they like. Um, for me, I definitely was a big fan of staying on campus and not having to pay additional bills or worrying about the Wi-Fi or, uh, you know, just normal maintenance that you have to worry about when you live in your own accommodation. Um, but some people definitely prefer to have that more independence and more responsibility of, you know, sorting out their Wi-Fi providers, um, which is really fine because you've got that option um, for whatever you want. 
Um, let's talk about something that some people might want to hear about as well. Is it possible to get a job in Aberdeen? Is it really difficult to fit around your studies or is it actually you know, something people can look into? Yeah, they can definitely look into. So with your student visa, you can actually work up to 20 hours per week. For me as an inter international student, like 20 hours was more than plenty. Like I would say 12 to 15 hours was pretty manageable. Um, Obviously, you don't have uh, classes on a weekend, and unless you're playing sport, um, you usually have sport Wednesday afternoons and potentially on the weekend. Like you can definitely work weekend jobs, um, evening jobs as well. And once you know your schedule, like you might have gaps during the day that you can pick up shifts. And we're, you know, we're a university that has different little shops and little cafes and stuff in the area. And then we also have the main city centre where you've got shopping malls, cinemas, uh, you know, restaurants, bars, cafes, bakeries, everything. Um, so if you were looking for, a, you know, a simple hospitality job or um, a retail job, like you would definitely be able to find that. My only advice would be to definitely check out like our kind of career services and get information about how to write a UK CV in America like I came over with a resume which is very similar to a CV but it is a little bit more basic in what's being offered so just kind of converting what you already have in the form of a resume into a CV because that's what employers are going to be used to, to looking at but we definitely have support on how to do that and I'm sure they'll be running them as well of like drop-in sessions and one-to-one uh, -one appointments whatever you need to get that information but as well as just on our website. And another thing that might be sort of on American students and applicants' um, mind might be whether you need to have a car in the UK and specifically in Aberdeen. Is that a necessity or can you get around Aberdeen without having a car? You definitely do not need a car. Um, it's for someone like me that came from Southern California that was used to like driving to LA and San Diego to do like things that I liked, like shopping and going to see live music and gigs. Um, I was concerned about that as well, but actually there's so many buses and cycle routes and the trains that are just so amazing and clean and safe and affordable that you don't need a car. Like I didn't have a car for the first seven years that I lived here, which if you had said to any of my friends that I was going to move to another country and not have a car, like they wouldn't, they just wouldn't believe you because we just don't have the same infrastructure um, and uh, just affordability and access to, to public transportation. But yeah, you definitely don't need it. You can get on a train or a bus uh, from Aberdeen and make it all the way down to London. And from there, you've got like the Eurostar. So you can get over to like mainland Europe on a train if you wanted to. Um, and then there's also deals. So you've got like a, a youth rail card that you can get. So it's what, 16 to 30 year olds um, or full-time students. You can pay about 30 pounds to get a card and it gives you what? I think it's about a third off or 30 percent it's either a third or a 30 percent it's around there but basically like as long as you're not traveling during peak hours you'll get a discount on all your rail so you can get anywhere really anywhere in the uk with public transportation but just in the city center like it's a short walk so if you're happy to walk like it's definitely what if you're a fast walker 20 minutes slow walker 30 minutes to town uh, which is we say town or like city center but it's basically like the main kind of shopping area of uh, Aberdeen but it just it's it's really it's a really nice place to be and it's really nice not to have to rely on a car 
because um, you get to see more of the city and meet people and figure out what 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 you like, what areas you like, where your favorite coffee shops are that you wouldn't necessarily get to explore if you were in a car. Yeah, I think it's definitely a good point that you do not need a car. Um, everything is walkable in Aberdeen. Um, I've been here in Aberdeen now seven years and I still do not have a car and I do not ever use the bus because it's just cheaper to walk and you can walk anywhere within like four or five minutes so I know it might sound like a huge walk but actually it's really not that bad and once you get sort of used to it um, it's you know perfectly normal uh, to just walk to the shop and bring your shopping back um, it's a different way of life as well I like yeah. it it does give you sort of the opportunity to keep fit um, you can also cycle a lot of people do cycle and you can get a bike quite cheaply um, around here so you know, you can just see what you prefer the most. But I think most people, because you sort of live locally most of the time, you will get a flat that's quite close. You're not going to get a flat that's, you know, like an hour and a half away by foot. So uh, you do not have to worry about the transport part too much. Yeah, and I always say, like, just based on my own personal experience of that kind of first day or so that you're living in your accommodation and you meet everyone that you share a kitchen with and, like, your living room with, like go with them on the bus because I wasn't used to just being like can I get a single or a return because one in America you don't say single or return you say one way or round trip so like getting the vocabulary right and like just knowing and feeling confident like this is how I get on and off the bus and like this is the right bus stop um I definitely had anxiety around that and like was quite nervous to know like is this the right place am I doing it right um so I just like and I was just proactive and invited people in my flat to like go explore uh, the city centre with me and then we they were used to using buses because most of them were Scottish or um or European and had used to public transportation so um, I definitely kind of got a group together to to make sure I wasn't alone in that experience. Great and is there anything that you would say specifically to parents or counsellors who might be listening to us just now are you also able to advise them or can you only talk to students and applicants? Yeah, so I can definitely speak to, to anyone about how things work at the university. Um, we do usually have pretty strict data protection laws. So if a student has applied to the university, they have the option on UCAS to put like a named contact. So it could be a parent or it could be their counselor. And as long as they're named on their UCAS application, we can speak to them um, on the behalf of the students. But if a parent got in touch and was asking for basic information, I can absolutely tell parents and counselors like basic information about how things work, how this is how visas work, this is how applications work, this is what Aberdeen's like, all the kind of information that isn't specific to a student's application, um, I can absolutely advise them on. And then if it is something very specific to an individual's application, we just need that student's permission. So even if they haven't applied through UCAS, if they've applied to Common Up, the student can email us and give us permission to speak to their name contact as well. So there's always a, as long as we have it written down uh, that the student has approved, we can speak to the counselor and consul, then we can talk to them about specifics. But yeah, counselors, parents, friends, anyone who wants some information about Aberdeen. If you're living in North or South America or anywhere in between, you can definitely reach out to me. Great. That was great. Thank you very much, Amy. As we said multiple times during this podcast, you can reach Amy and also just her team in general 
um, through email. So we've linked um, the email address of AMA specifically in the show notes. And we also have a program called Unibuddy, which is an online sort of chat platform where you can reach any of the international officers and also some current students. So if you're looking to speak to a current student, you know, ask them um, specifically about their experience, you can do that as well. So we're going to drop a little note on that as well. Thank you for sticking with us throughout this episode. This is our last scheduled episode. However, we're always looking for more episode topics. So if there's anything else you would like us to cover, please do email us at ukteam.abgn.ac.uk with your suggestions. So thank you, Amy. Um, it was a pleasure having you on. Um, and thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Ask Aberdeen podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic we should cover, please email us at ukteam at abdn.ac.uk. We would love to hear from you. To be alerted about new episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.